Welcome back to the Inside the Game podcast by Scores for Sport Management. My name is Gerrit Kerstentiele and today I really look forward to speaking with Danny Mills who was uh, appointed as the general manager um, of basketball operations for the Perth Wildcats and Danny most recently has been working for the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA as their director of scouting. Um, I first met Danny in Las Vegas when he was helping and working at our Scores First Showcase, um, an exposure event that we have or had in Las Vegas during the time of the NBA Summer League. And following Danny's journey in pro basketball has been special and, and has been fun, so I really look forward to speaking to him. And I hope you guys can take something from his journey and, and what he shares with us on this edition of the Inside the Game podcast. So I hope you'll enjoy it, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. All right. Um, yeah, so today I'm excited uh, to have uh, Danny Mills with us. Danny has been uh, a friend for many years, and, you know, we've met in Vegas for the, uh, for the first time, 2013, um, which now is a long time ago. Um, Danny, great to... Great to have you on. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, Garrett, thank you. Appreciate you having us on. It's uh, it's great to great to get on here with yourself and kind of go through some of our history together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have an interesting story, kind of how you build your profile. Maybe for those who don't know you, can you give us a quick uh, little intro about your journey so far? Yeah, for sure. So, um, born and raised in Perth, Australia. I uh, grew up there. Played all my junior basketball. Went to high school. And then was lucky enough to, to um, be at the Australian Institute of Sport, which is now called the Basketball Australia Centre of Excellence in Canberra, our capital city, where a lot of the junior national players go. So I was there for a year when I was 18. And then I took the journey, like a lot of Australian juniors to, to um, college in the US. So 2003, moved over to uh, college and um, played at the junior college in Missouri, Three Rivers, my first year, freshman year. And then I transferred to an NAIA school out west, Oregon Tech, and finished my um, three years out there. So graduated in 2007 from college in the, in the States and had a fantastic experience, uh, life experience, as, as well as basketball and education. And I uh, got a degree out of it and, and played at a pretty good level of basketball and enjoyed it. Um, was lucky enough during that time. So obviously Australian by birth, but my father's Irish. So uh, I have an Irish passport um, and uh, was lucky enough to play on the Irish senior national team during college, a couple of summers. So <laughs> yeah, came to came to Europe and that was the time, 2004, 2005, when um, we had, the team was made up of nine Americans with Irish citizenship and Australian, mm -hmm. and then two guys that were actually born in Ireland. Okay. Um, and, some, and some pretty good names, uh, Jay Laranega, uh, Dan, mm -hmm. uh, Dan Callahan, Pat Burke played in the NBA, Cal Boulder, Jim Moran, so um, awesome for me. I was the youngest on the team. Um, awesome experience for me. Uh, really cool. And it's funny how those relationships now have come full circle with uh, Jay and Jim and a few guys that now work in the NBA. So, um, yeah, so um, did that and then got out of basketball for a couple of years, uh, moved to San Diego, California and loved it. I was in sales for a company mm -hmm. and um, that's where I've met my now wife, Megan. She was a nurse in the Navy. Um, so two years we got married. Fast forward, she was um, offered to go to Italy, uh, to move to Sicily, Italy with her job with the Navy. There's a naval base in Sicily, Siganella. And so uh, after a year, I, um, I did two years in sales. I did a year at the University of San Diego. It was like a volunteer coach. 
just trying to get my foot in the door, collegiate basketball, wanted to get back into sports, right. basketball and work and a lot of fun. And then we moved to Italy. I had no idea like how to actually get in and continue coaching when I moved over there, but um, got tipped off to go to the Euro camp in Treviso. Went up there, made some contacts and got on with a club in Sicily, uh, Capodolendo. So uh, fast forward. So we moved to Sicily, Italy, 2010. Um, I, moved, I got up to Capodolendo. Pepe Sindoni was the GM. Um, luckily enough, liked me, hired me as an assistant coach, junior coach for the junior team and did two years with Capodolendo in B2 and B1, so fourth and third division. Mm-hmm. And then Giovanni Podikizzi was the head coach the second year. He moved to Sigma Barcelona, which was in Liga 2, so second division in Italy. So my final year in Italy, I moved with him, which is another team in Sicily, and uh, was an assistant coach in Liga 2, which was awesome experience. Loved it. Um, loved our time in Italy. Really missed, really missed uh, the people and uh, just just Sicily in general. It's just an incredible um incredible part of the world honestly so much history there and the food and the people and um so that was my foray into professional basketball I guess three years there and yeah. um my wife after that was she'd done six years in the navy and was like what do you want to do um and I wanted to stay in basketball and I think that's when I came to Las Vegas and yeah. I think I met yourself and Daniel Porsche right. and yeah. yeah yeah and um from there um was lucky enough to get a uh, video coordinator position with the Bakersfield Jam in the G League. So I went from Italy, G League, um, and then did a year there. Awesome experience. Get my foot in the door with, with, with the NBA, learn the game. You wear a lot of hats in the G League, which is kind of cool. Right. I, I would recommend it for a lot of people trying to get in the business. It's, um, it's a fantastic way to learn, learn, learn the NBA game and, and, and the way it all operates. And from there, some, again, lucky breaks, fortunes, and um, got, a, got a foot in the door with the Sixers, did some projects for them that summer for the draft, and got hired by uh, Sam Hinkie to become an international scout with Philadelphia in 2014, but wanted me to move back to Europe, uh, which was exciting. After living in Bakersfield for a year, we were excited to, to, to move back to Europe. And I think I'd actually called you then because we were considering Germany, right. and I, yeah. I wanted to get your, your, um, your insight into living because... I'd been there, but I'd never lived there. And um, yeah. I had a teammate, Max Gotzler, that uh, was from the Munich area. And I played with him at Oregon Tech and he was living in Berlin. Um, so he sold us on Berlin. We pack our bags, lived in Berlin for two years. Um, so first years of the Sixers in Europe, amazing experience scouting internationally. Uh, long story short, Sam resigns. Brian Colangelo comes in to take over. You don't really know what's going on. Obviously, I'm overseas. You're kind of worried about job stability. And then luckily enough, they keep me on, but move me back to the States. Mm. Um, asked me to be based in the Midwest. Uh, my wife's from um, Ann Arbor, Michigan. She went to school here where the University of Michigan is. So we, we based ourselves here and I've uh, been here five years now uh, and doing scouting continuous, you know, with the Sixers and continue to move up the front office. And last two years of being a director of scouting with Philadelphia. And then up until now, where about two months ago was fortunate enough to um, to get involved with a job back home. So full circle, um, the Perth Wildcats called and we're looking for uh, to expand their basketball operations and, and add a general manager of basketball and that's something they've never had before. And their head coach had left, Trevor Gleason had left to go to Toronto Raptors. And so um, for me, it, it, it was just a culmination of timing, opportunity, and just, I think in my mind, the want to go back home to Australia for a little bit and live there and kind of experience life again. It's been 19 years. Um, we've got a young family, got three kids and a wife. And so, um, yeah, super excited about that opportunity. Very lucky, um, but very excited about it. And um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at today. 
Well, thank you for that intro. Um, I think who, if you don't know Danny yet, then you know now. I think you have an idea of you know all the places where he's been, and and you know it's in having known Danny now for several years. I think there is a lot more to this than than what you said, and that there is a lot more to this than just luck. Um, when you just you said when you just when you stopped playing, you went into sales first. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, family circumstance and, and having a wife that was open to all of this and, and you know, that, that took the job in Europe. What were your goals or your dreams within basketball, having been in sales, getting that itch for basketball again? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I look back on it um, a lot, actually, because that was a tipping point for me. I, I'm, I think if I never went into sales, I would never have known that I really missed basketball that much, you know? And so I think I was just burnt out after college um, from playing. And, you know, I think all young guys coming out of college, they want to make money and all of that. And basketball, yeah. professional basketball was never going to be my, I, I maybe could have gone down and played, you know, in Australia as a, at a, you know, fringe level in the professional league. But <clears throat> my whole mindset was um, stay in the States. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I took the job, but pretty quickly I found out that like, that wasn't what I wanted to do long-term. Um, as long, although it was paying the bills at the time and yeah fortunate enough my wife had a stable career in the navy in the states and um yeah i was again fortunate enough i, I took a chance quit the job moved back to san diego and um was lucky enough got a volunteer position at the university of san diego took an on-campus job just to make ends meet and um that's kind of what you got to do right just to get your foot in the door and um yeah. i had some great people that have helped me along the way and yeah i think i think you create your own luck in a way um with hard work and just being a good person and and um, being a good listener and um, learning. And um, I had a year there and then the European opportunity came up and <clears throat> I just think it's all, obviously I totally believe that there's a plan and God has a plan for everyone. And that was part of mine. And um, yeah, just a fortunate, you know, I have an Irish passport so I can live in Europe as an EU oh, citizen. Yeah. And yeah. so all of these things just lined up and yeah, the, the, the Cup of Orlando experience was incredible. And yeah, so um, yeah, just, I. Yeah. You, you've mentioned, I mean, having the opportunity to go to Italy at that time, and you mentioned Treviso and, and, and the, the, um, the Euro camp. I remember you back then and, and in Vegas as well. And I think, yes, some of it is circumstance, some of it is luck, um, but you've also done a heck of a job networking and connecting with people, which is kind of forging your own luck a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. can you give people a little bit of insight how you went about that kind of the people that that helped you along the way going from Eurocamp, but also you know Las Vegas the things you've done to kind of put yourself in a good position 100% yeah um, yeah I think I think I, th I think that is something that um, the, the networking and connecting with people it's something that comes naturally to me so I guess I'm lucky in that sense it's not something I have to force out of myself and I love I guess I'm a people person. I love being around people. I love meeting new people from different cultures and, and learning and, um, and trying to, and it's not just a one-way street, you know, it's, it's reciprocal. I want to give back to them, whatever I can. And, you know, when I, when I did come to um, Las Vegas that year, that was my first time to summer league. And yeah, I came to your camp for a few days. I think I worked it. Um, yeah. Yep, that's right. Yeah. And just, yeah, it was, I mean, I was just trying, I was just like um, wide eyed and just trying to find my way through the business and opportunities came and, yeah, there were a lot of people, like I said, um, uh, Marco Martelli was a guy in Italy that got me connected with Capo Orlando. He was at Casali for many years as a GM. Um, 
then th th there was a bunch of people, um, I mean, Pete Philo, Bob Donnywald, Fran Fraschilla. These were guys I met at the Euro camp and took me in and were, and were fantastic to me. And, um, you know, opened doors and um, just allowed me to, to learn through them. Um, and I've just kind of been around the game and was lucky enough then to get on with the Bakersfield Jam and the staff that we had there. If you look now through where all of those people are, they're all in really impressive positions, whether it's in the NBA or overseas. And so um, I've just been really fortunate in the situations I've been in. But again, um, I guess creating that creating that kind of opportunity through just just working hard and 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 not 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 looking too far forward. You know, always. I mean, obviously, you have a vision. And, and, and you want to get to a certain point in your career, but you can't control that. You know, you got to control the next thing. Yeah. So control the controllables, you know, those sort of those sort of things and take each day as it is and just continue to learn. And, and I think good things happen to good people. And yeah, you, you just never know when that next opportunity is. Right. I, I do think it's important to kind of share, though, that hard work is expected at the level, you know, where, where you have been and then where you are working now, that's something that I think people expect, but then also understanding that you need to be open-minded and that you need to be somebody that goes out and talks to people that you're, that you don't go anywhere. If you're afraid to approach a friend, Priscilla, others, you know, that yeah. if those people know who you are, that you are working and that you are diligent in what you do, they will be able to help and they will be open to helping, you know? Um, 100%. And I would say the American culture is very much that. Um, it's awesome. Like really, really um, just people are always willing to help. And the business here is so big, you know, it's such a big business in so many different facets from professional to college, to high school, to AAU. And um, yeah, I've always found that people here are very willing. And like you said, you, if you put yourself out there and be confident, um, not, not expecting anything, but, uh, but, but kind, of, kind of offering, how can I help? How can I help you? How can I serve you? And expect, not expecting anything, but kind of understanding that down the road, something's gonna come back. So, right. yeah, yeah. And you mentioned you made the step into, like from Bakersfield, you, you go to the 76ers and, and you work as an international scout at first in Europe. Um, what has that been like for you, scouting players overseas, coordinating travel? Like what were the, the, what was, what were the most difficult parts and, and how would you explain that job to somebody that doesn't know much about it? Yeah, great question. Um, Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I came into that without a lot of really much scouting experience at all, live scouting. And so, yeah, I mean, I moved to Germany, uh, Berlin, we landed, we were looking for a house, uh, our apartment to live in, and my wife was with me. And um, yeah, I started getting on the road. And yeah, it, at the start, it wasn't easy. You, you got to coordinate schedules, you got to, you have your prospect list, and you got to, you got to connect with people that you don't know in different countries and different languages. And um, I think for me, again, going back to like, I, I like to travel, I like to meet people. So that's, that to me was natural. So every trip I made, I made sure that I wasn't just going to watch the game. I made sure that I was trying to get to shoot around in the morning right. and I wanted to have a coffee with the coach. Then I wanted to meet the opposition strength coach before the game, get to know him and start those relationships. And some of those relationships now have come tenfold to when like, I'm looking for a player for Perth now, and I've got a contact in France. And I met him because I was open to doing those things and spending an extra day in um, Paris as opposed to flying home because I wanted to meet these people and get in front of them. And um, so I think a lot of that stuff came natural, but yeah, the, uh, the scheduling is difficult, very difficult in Europe. 
um, games changed by TV um, a lot in Europe. And then, um, and then just trying to, trying to get access to, to certain practices is hard because not every club in Europe wants NBA scouts, you know, right. um, looking at their players. Cause I mean, they, they, they view it as a, as competitors, uh, especially, you know, the, the, the bigger EuroLeague clubs. So that's difficult. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of travel. It's a lot of travel. I mean, you're talking 18 to 20 plus days on the road a month during the season. Um, and so you got to be committed to traveling and seeing players live and, um, and just collecting a lot of intel, you know, and, and you're making a lot of phone calls and having to ask for a lot of, a lot of things from other people. And then right. on the back end, how can you help them? Because it can't always be you asking. Sure. So I found that pretty quick, trying to offer something that I can help them with, whether it's, hey, um, if you're looking for Americans in the States, let me know who I'll connect you with their college coach or I'll get you information from the G League for guys you're looking at. So things like that. Yeah. And that prospect list you mentioned, is that something that you kind of build on your own as you go to European championships and all that? Or is that highly influenced by names that, you're, that you get thrown your way from the US? How, 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 how do you build the prospect list for overseas, especially looking at all these different countries, different markets? How do you, yep. how do, you do that? Yeah, it, um, and I think over time it becomes really fluid. You just keep building on it year after year. And obviously some guys get drafted and the ones that pull out, they just get added to the next year, right? Until mm -hmm. they are ineligible and then they go onto a free agent list. But yeah, it, it starts with that summer. So you go to the under 20s, under 18s, the under 16s. Uh, you go to one of the World Cups that's every year, the under 19s, the under 17s. Uh, you look at the top players. Um, you're, you're subscribing to some of these... Um, you know, youth scouting services that are out there and these young guys that do a fantastic job and providing names. And then you start digging on those names and some of them maybe aren't even NBA caliber, but then there's some that you maybe hadn't heard about that are popping up and you start adding them to your list. And um, it's a never ending process. You're, you're never done. There's always something to do. There's always a call to make. There's always a play to watch, but that's the fun of it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, like for me, you looked at it and yeah, it, there were some days you're like, what am I doing? I'm just, I'm all over the place. I've been traveling for 20 days straight. I need to see my family. But then you look back and you're like, I'm getting, I'm getting paid to watch basketball around the world and, and go to, go to Anadolu Efes, Fenerbahce games and Olympiakos, Panathinaikos and go to Spain and you know, places I would never have gone to without basketball. And so I think when you look at it through a glass half full type um, window, um, yeah, very, very fortunate for me. I've, I've been, again, I've, I guess my career has led me to go overseas and then come back to the States and have a, a sense of both. And it, it, I guess that's not as common in, in the NBA. Most guys are, uh, are the US based, whether it's pro or amateur, so draft college or just in international. And I've had the chance to do both and obviously from Australia and um, yeah, just been really fortunate to, to kind of get, get, get my, get my um, eyes across multiple, multiple um, environments of basketball globally. And it's been, it's been awesome. It, and it's, it's shaped my view of the game and how I see basketball going forward. Now, you mentioned going back to the U.S. after being an international scout. Like, what has changed from being the international scout to going director of scouting in the U.S.? Is, were there big differences or what were those? Yeah, so, so moving. So two years in Berlin, moved back to the U.S., um, getting used to the college schedule. So the college schedules, so the the European schedule is 10 months. It's actually, it's more than 12 months because you put all the junior tournaments in. It's, yeah. it's nonstop. Um, there's some down periods in August, September, but um, college, when college starts, when you start going, actually college practices are about to open now. When you start going to practices in October, 
and then through November through March, I mean, it's it's go time because those college teams play a lot of games in a small amount of time, and you got to cover a lot of prospects over here um, and get your eyes on a lot of them. So, um, and then obviously it's it's different, right? Uh, I would say teams are a lot more open uh, to having you in. They mm -hmm. want you in practice. Yeah. They want you to be around their coaching staff. Um, so that that was fantastic and building up my network through collegiate programs, uh, and then. And then just just a fan in you going to Duke, Kentucky, Louisville, Purdue, Arizona, UCLA, like that was for my first couple of years, like that that was pretty cool as well, I have to admit. Yeah. You know, it had done had done the European stuff and all of that, but then to come back and actually get get that experience and start to meet those kind of coaches and that staff, and um, that was really cool. And then combine it. Um, and then moving in, into the director role, it's a lot more managing people. So having an oversight of the um, of the whole scouting department um, and kind of having a top down view and um, distributing work and making sure everyone's got things to do. That's, you know, that's all um, pulling the work up to where you are because you're the one that's then going to push it up to the front office and, and the decision makers up top. Right. And, and one thing that I always see, and you see it with college coaches who are recruiting players internationally, but I think the NBA also has the same topic. How do you translate the overseas level of play, the overseas game, whether that's comparing a 19-year-old or a 25-year-old who could potentially be an NBA player? How do you translate the, the European game, the overseas game, I mean, it's not European only anymore by far as, as I'm mean, yep. just looking at Australia now and what's happening over yep. there. You see how much, yep. you know, more, more NBA attention is over there now, rightfully so. Um, comparing that to AAU, to college basketball, like how would you bridge that gap or, or translate it um, to get an understanding of how to value somebody for a potential NBA draft? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's a never ending, uh, there's never ending answer to it. I think you're always trying to find ways to um, compare and contrast and, and you're looking historically at, at trends, which players have successfully gotten drafted internationally and made it and which guys haven't and why. Uh, and vice versa for college, college guys, there's a lot more data obviously on college prospects that have or haven't made it and looking at you know their advanced collegiate statistics like These are the guys historically, if they've hit this benchmark in some certain categories, then that's translated. Um, so I think early on, yeah, that was that, that's a challenge. I think it's a challenge for every scout and talent evaluator, and I, it still is. But I think as you get in the business more and you start to see, after three or four years, once you've scouted a couple of draft classes, and then you see how successful or not successful they, they're around the NBA, you start to understand like, oh, I saw this guy do this in college or internationally. He can't do that at this level. He's not athletic enough. He's not long enough. Uh, he's not skilled enough. And then you start to form your opinion on like, all right, I need to look for X, Y, Z because these are the ones that actually translate. Um, and so for me, yeah, it, it, it takes time. Uh, I mean, I was I was with Philadelphia for seven years, and I mean, you're still you're still never certain. You go you go into the draft, you have your final draft board. There's still so many questions left answered. It's such a, it's an inexact science. You're, you're, you're trying to predict human behavior, right? So it's, it's, right. it's really inexact. And obviously the, the background stuff helps a little bit to understand the character of the kid and kind of maybe how much he can push himself to, to maximize his, his, um, his potential, his ability. But um, 
again, there's so many factors there. Once they get to the NBA, how do they handle? How do they handle that sort of stardom, the money, the 82 game schedule? You know, you're coming from college and yeah, you played at Kentucky, but you played 30 games. Now you're playing 82 regular season games. Like, how do you handle that? So um, there's so many factors into it, but, um, and then, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it's historical data, you know, the ACB as a league historically has, has had a lot of guys successfully translate the games to the NBA. And so maybe you look at guys that are putting up numbers there more favorably than a guy that's doing it in France, you know, um, and those things, but each case is different and it's individual. Um, but, you know, athlete, things like athleticism is obviously one thing. The NBA game is, um further ahead obviously it's, it's just a different it's a faster paced game mm-hmm. um and then um yeah i mean just yeah in terms of all that you know like, like you talked about it's a global game i was fortunate enough to go to china scout players south america obviously australia europe um never got to africa unfortunately and for me that's the next frontier for nba for global scouting i mean africa yeah. is it one well, convinced of that um and that's that's coming the nba's invested they got they got a they got a league now. Their national teams are starting to really compete. Um, so that's exciting, uh, not just for that content. I think for global basketball, just to keep right. keep improving it. So, yeah, I would agree with on that. So you already mentioned your wife a couple of times and the role she played in you going overseas. Now you're you're building your own starting five at home um, with your family <laughs> growing. How do you yeah. how do you juggle life, um, family life, and especially in, in the fast-paced pro sports world and, and with all this travel? Like, how did you manage to do that? Yeah, I've been, one, very fortunate and lucky to, to marry Megan, and uh, she's a rock star. Like, she's, she's a nurse by trade, labor and delivery nurse, but um, she's raising our family. I mean, I've, I've, part of scouting is you're going to miss a lot of family time, and that, that, that eats at you for sure, and um, you try and get as much time at home as you can, but, you know, the that job's demanding and there's timelines you know you can only go out at certain times so um it's challenging it is and that's something i tell when um i speak to you know young 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 people young professionals that are trying to get into the business you know that's that's something maybe they ask me or i tell them like if you're if you're married or you're not like understand that like those relationships they the 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 other person your partner has to understand that like your career isn't nine to five it never will be if this is what you want to do and it's it's unstable. It's professional sports. You're going to get hired to be fired. Um, all of those things. And if you can handle that and have, have a good partner um, that, that, that understands that um, side of the, it, it, it's not easy. I haven't been in her shoes, so I can't speak for her, but I know at times she's just like, what are we doing? Like, um, so, but, you know, we've, we've also had amazing opportunities to live in Europe, uh, Italy, Berlin, um, now we're in Ann Arbor where she grew up, which was fantastic. I never thought I would live in Michigan and she's had five years here now. We've, we're raising three kids and, and now we're going back to my home, Perth, which is um, unbelievable, full circle. And yeah. she's excited about that. And, and so she's been very open to traveling, which is huge, obviously, and moving. And um, luckily, we haven't had to move. Like we've been in five years in Ann Arbor, which is pretty, pretty, pretty good time, I think, for someone that's in professional sports and now it's time to obviously it's a big move the other side of the world but it's it's a it's a familiar place right so um yeah it's uh it's it's, it's vitally important though to to have that family and to have them understand that and then the children make it a lot more difficult because you you can never get that time back um yeah. but you've also got to build your career so you got to have a have a bit of 
of the balance. Yeah. yeah. And I, I struggle with it on balance. So like you said, you're going to Perth now, which for you means going home. Um, yeah. General manager of basketball operations for the Perth Wildcats. When that became a topic, what was going through your head? Yeah. Um, so it happened about three weeks before the draft um, this year. And obviously my whole focus was getting through the draft with Philadelphia before I wanted to really engage with it. Um, it, had, it had come up two years ago. So they had approached me. So Troy Georgiou, the CEO of the Perth Wildcats, had been connected to me through a mutual contact. And um, we talked about a role two years ago. And um, I don't think the club was ready yet. Um, and they, they had a head coach in place already, Trevor, who had very successful, won five or seven NBL titles. And he's now, he's the one now at Toronto. So it just wasn't the right timing. Um, and for me either, like I'd only done five years in the NBA. I, I didn't think I'd kind of done everything I wanted to do. And not that I have now, but I, it just wasn't the right timing. Fast forward two years, um, it comes open again because new ownership. So we have a new ownership group, Sports Entertainment Network, SEN, have bought the Wildcats. And then the head coaching position came open. So for me, when you looked at this position that was being offered to get myself in front of the ownership to pitch this role to them, which is a new role coming into the club, it's a very unique role in the NBL and something they're trying to professionalize with. Um, you know, it's, it's, you get to run your hometown team. It's, it's a flagship club of the NBL. You know, they've won 10, 10 titles, extremely professional club. Um, and then to, to, to pair that with, you get to pair with a CEO who you really trust and like, and then to hire your own head coach and start new. Um, for me, it was just like this opportunity in that um, format would probably never happen again. Mm -hmm. And it's Perth and it's home. It's not, it's not Melbourne or Sydney where I, I would love but it's Perth. It's even more special because right. I'm from there. And so to go back 19 years, and then I think that the tipping point was then, you know, I would, you know, just talking to my parents and my sisters about maybe the opportunity and you could see the excitement in their voice that I, maybe there's a chance he comes home this time. And yeah. So um, yeah, no, super, very fortunate. And just um, everything just kind of came together and um, wasn't looking to leave the NBA. I was enjoying that time at Philadelphia, but this was just the right timing and the right position. So That's exciting. I mean, with, with all the NBA attention that we already mentioned, like how do you see Australian basketball? Like where, where do you see that right now in the international landscape and, and kind of with, with the experience that you have within the NBA, like how, how can, does all that fit together for you? Yeah. So, and, and part of this, part of this job for me is um, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm the GM of Perth, but I also feel a real um, sense of, um, national pride of being you know being a former national junior team player and being Australian to like continue to move the game forward in the country and um I was part of the boomers uh staff at the 2019 world cup in China which was incredible just to see that culture up close um unfortunately didn't win a medal came fourth but we're very close and um then we're I knew uh and then obviously they, they won the bronze medal in Tokyo which is unbelievable first medal for Australian senior men's history at a major tournament uh and 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 People forget, like Australia is ranked number three in the world now, globally, for senior men. I mean, for a country of 24 million people, I, it's not talked about enough. And right. the, the the next step is to really commercialize the sport and, and, and to get it on a really um, solid footing. Because um, the grassroots system is is unbelievable. I mean, I, I feel fortunate. Again, I've, I've traveled all over the world and I've seen grassroots basketball and how it's done around the world from America to South America to Europe. And I'm, I'm biased, I'm Australian, but I think the Australian system's 
the best, if not tied best with some other places. And um, that's, that's really formed this, this culture within the Australian men's team. And it's, it's, it's bearing its fruit now with like our results. And I just think that's going to continue. And you, to make that continue, I think you've got to get some people in that have um, vast global and NBA experience. And I've been fortunate enough to be in that space for the last 10, 11 years. And uh, part of my part of my role going back, I would love to be involved with the national teams and the federation and help however I can in, in my role with Perth, but also helping grow the game, whether it's at the grassroots level or the junior national teams or however, but pretty passionate about that because I think Australia's got a, um, a real chance to be a stronghold in, in, in global basketball for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Well, great, Danny. I want to thank you for your time, um, sharing all that information about your journey in sports and in basketball. And, and I really look forward to following you, uh, what you will do at, at Perth with the Wildcats and, and in Australia. And again, thanks for being so open about uh, all the networking parts and, and all of that. Thank you. No, Garrett, thank you. And um, yeah, I, I just want to say thanks. You've always been one of the people that I've always turned to. And even when I was in Germany or outside of Germany, to call you or text you or see you in person, it's always so friendly and open and honest. And that's not always common in our industry, as you know. Um, and so I've always really appreciated that about you. And you should understand that, that your reputation around basketball is that, that you're very well respected in, 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 in the industry. So I really appreciate your time and thanks for having me on. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Awesome. See you soon. Thanks again to Danny for taking the time to chat with us about his journey in pro basketball. I always think it's amazing what networking and hard work can do. Um, Danny has built a long career, has been super successful. And thanks for, for being so open about your journey, Danny, and, and sharing all that information, um, building a family while also being successful in the fast-paced industry of sports, I think is special and amazing, and I look forward to following what you will do in Perth. Um, wishing you all the best for that, and thanks again for your time. Thanks also to all of you listeners. Um, I hope you were able to take something from this. And uh, our goal is to keep coming back with uh, more interesting episodes um, and, and to come back frequently with interesting stuff for you. So thanks also for your time. I certainly value that and hope you were able to take something from this. Thanks again to listening to the Inside the Game podcast and uh, keep coming back. <laughs>